Well, as we're talking about change, we've talked about our view of God and how God wants to change that and how that can lead to all sorts of things when our view of God is changed. We've talked about our identity last week and how God wants to change our very identity, how we view ourselves and how we know that we're good or how we know we're acceptable or how we know that we're okay. We, we talked about how God wants to change that, but there's more that God wants to change. It's not just our view of God or our view of ourselves. It's also the way that we live our lives. And, and we want change in our life. I'm sure that there's areas that you can see, that you can look at, and you go, I know I want change, but sometimes we're unsure how much change we want. Sometimes we're unsure how much we want to do to make changes. Sometimes it's, it's the thing that we know is good, but it's not necessarily the thing that, that we know we want. Maybe like exercise. We all know we should exercise, but that doesn't mean that we do it. And some of you might do it and love it and it's great and you know, you're always just wearing spandex and jazz about everything and that's good for you. Uh, that's not most of us and we hate you, so I'm just here to let you know that today. Um, uh, we don't hate you. We, we love you very much uh, and we wish we could be you. But uh, we, there's things that we, we know that is the good thing or the right thing to do, but it's not necessarily what we want to do. Maybe even eating your vegetables when you're a kid. That I know my kids, they don't, they don't love vegetables. And most of us even are like, oh, okay, you know, I know I should do that. I know I should exercise. I know I should go on a diet. I know I should eat my vegetables. I know I should. And maybe this is just me talking since I'm giving you all health things. Uh, I know I should read. I know I should. There's all sorts of things we know we should do, but not necessarily that we want to do. And change, I think, sometimes in our life is like that. There's areas that we look at and go, I know I should change this. I know that I want in some ways to change that, but I don't know if I want to put in the work. I don't know if I want to do what it's going to take. I don't know exactly even how to start or where to start. I don't know if I have the discipline to do it. Sometimes that's how change is, especially when it comes to the tangible, practical things in our lives. Sometimes that's how it is. But I want to kind of maybe reframe change a little bit for you. And I was talking to a group of guys about this uh, last week. And, and I always find it helpful to think about change uh, in, in these ways uh, when, we, when we talk about the, the way that God wants to change our lives. In the Bible, there's something, and for those of you that are Christians or familiar with the Bible, you know about this, but it, it talks about the fruit or kind of the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in your life. And it lists things like love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And if you think about those things, who doesn't want that? If you think about change and say, man, who doesn't want to be more patient in their life? I mean, wouldn't it be better if we were more patient? There hasn't been a lot of things in your life that, that go well when you're impatient, no one says, I really wish I could be more impatient. That's my problem with traffic. I'm just too patient. I'm too patient with people. That's my problem. No one says that. I mean, wouldn't life be better if you had more patience? If you had more joy? If you had more peace in your life and you weren't so anxious and you weren't so restless and, and things didn't cause you to kind of stay up at night or you weren't kind of in turmoil and feel that stuff in your gut? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want more peace and love? I mean, who, who doesn't want to be more loving? Who doesn't want to be more loving to their, to their spouse and their kids and even their coworkers and even their enemies? I mean, we, we, want, we know life would be better if there was more love and more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness. I mean, all those things are more self-control. I mean, we actually look at that list and go, yeah, I want those things. Or sometimes the Bible talks about uh, our lives becoming more like Christ, more like Jesus. And who doesn't want that? I mean, every single one of our lives would be better if there was a little bit more like Jesus in our life. If we had a little bit more of his wisdom, a little bit more of his ability. I, I always look at the life of Jesus and he says the perfect thing every time. And he has the perfect interaction. He always has the perfect amount of grace and truth and boldness and compassion he knows when to tell people they're a bunch of brood of vipers and when to tell people, come here, my daughter, come here, my child. It's like, man, I, I get those mixed up sometimes. It's like, you snake. Oh, no, no, that's not what I meant, you know. Jesus perfectly does. Who doesn't want to be more like Jesus? Be able to be full of grace and truth and all of that at the same time. Like th so when we talk about growth, sometimes it's eating your vegetables or dieting or exercising, but, but really if you think about it, 
Who doesn't want? Who doesn't want the Bible's vision of change that is available to us? I know that I want that. I know that you probably want that. I know that the person sitting next to you wants you to change in those ways. I can guarantee you that. Yes, this person needs to be more loving, more joyful, and I need to be less judgmental. Yes, we need all those things together. Where do you want to experience change in your life? We've talked about the view of God. We've talked about our view of ourself and our identity. What about the tangible stuff in your life that needs to change? And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're here or whether you're online, there's all sorts of areas. Today we're going to talk about really what it takes to change, who that change is available for, what that change looks like, how that change comes. And we're going to look at a story that probably, for those of you that have grown up in church, which I know is not all of you, or maybe you've heard the story when you're a kid and you're coming back to church now, but we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. And it's a short little story, and he's a short little man, but it's going to be a, a story that actually has the power to change within it that we can see. So let, let's read this story, and then we will see what God has to say to us about change. Luke 19 says this, he, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So if you're a short man, you've got someone in the Bible that you can identify with. This is great, right? So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. And come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. This is Zacchaeus' best day of Zacchaeus' life, but everyone else is complaining. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham or part of God's family. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Short story, but gives us really the ingredients that we need if we want to experience change in our life. So first question is this, who is change available for. And oftentimes when we think about change, and maybe you haven't sat down and kind of wrote this out of, of your philosophy of change, but I think a lot of times when we think about change, we think that change maybe is available for two different categories of people, or at least two different kinds of situations. It might be available for a good person that's seeking to get better. So change is maybe for those that Already good stuff is going on in their life and they need a little boost. They want a little bit of encouragement. They want to kind of get a little bit further. Someone that's coming to church and stuff is going great, but they want a little bit of marriage help or they want a little bit of their faith is strong, but they want it to be a little bit better. They're, they're walking with God, but they want to maybe take our Bible interpretation class and learn a little bit more. It's kind of change is available for those of us that are doing good and want to get a little bit better. Or change might be available for certain bad habits that we have in our life. Certain things that we say, okay, I really want to change this particular sin or this particular thing. I I want this piece gone. I want to work on my communication. Or maybe there's stuff with pornography and you say, I want that gone. Or there's stuff, just kind of a slice of your life. But we don't normally think of Zacchaeus' situation which is someone totally entrenched their whole identity, their whole life. Zacchaeus wasn't a good person that needed to get better. Zacchaeus wasn't someone that just had a bad habit, even a sinful, awful bad habit. He was someone whose whole identity was anti-God. His whole identity was entrenched in something completely against who Jesus was, who God was. It it says this, Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. If you were here last week, we talked about tax collectors and I'll just briefly give it to you again, but tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were despised, they were hated by the Jewish people and the Romans actually, who they worked for. 
the closest analogy that we have would be that my, our understanding might be able to kind of get around would be a, a Jew who worked with the Nazis in World War II. Someone that was a collaborator. Someone that said, I don't care about my people. I want to make some money. I don't care about the ethics of this, the morality of this. I don't care about how I was raised. I don't care about being an outcast and people thinking poorly of me in regards to this choice. I want to get some money. I want to have some power. I want to be safe. So the Romans hated them because the Romans, they just said, yeah, these people are working for us, but we know that they're a bunch of traitors to their own people. And the Jews obviously hated them because they were people collaborating with the Roman occupation. So they hated them also. And Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. That means he is like the Ponzi scheme leader. He's the tax collector that leads the other tax collectors that fleece people of their cash. The way that the tax collectors made their money wasn't today like the IRS, just like an employee that goes in and clocks in. The way they made their money was taking extra so you're, you owe your taxes to Rome, but the tax collector says, and you owe me this much money. So they would take more and that's how they got their money. And Zacchaeus as a chief tax collector even took more and he was rich, which for us is supposed to clue us in. He's making a lot of money off of people's poverty. He's making a lot of money off of people's oppression. He's making a lot of money off of, off of injustice. So when you look at Zacchaeus, this is not someone with a bad habit. This is not a good person seeking to get better. This is someone totally entrenched. Their whole identity is wrapped up in something against God. They don't care what people think about it. They've rejected how they were raised. They don't care about the morality about it. They don't care. They care about riches, power, security, whatever it is that led him into this, we can say that he is entrenched. His career, his emotional life, his social life, it's all entrenched. And I think this is so important because when we say, who is change available for? First, we need to understand this. Some of those people that we've given up on in our life that we might view as lost causes, are they worse than Zacchaeus? Maybe, but some of those people that you and I have given up on and said, I don't know if they can change. I know, and see, this is where it comes down to really mattering. The people around Zacchaeus, they were aghast. They couldn't believe that, that Jesus would talk to him because he is past the line of the kind of person that can change in their view. When someone is totally entrenched, a lot of times we give up on them. When their worldview, their emotions, their vocation, and we go, man, it would be almost impossible for them to come to Jesus. Maybe we give up hope. Maybe we give up prayer. This is saying that there's no completely lost causes for Jesus. But secondly, I think it's important for us not to just think about other people out there, but, but ourselves. Because the more that something is ingrained in us, the less hope we have for ourselves also. The more entrenched we are in something, the less hope we have for ourselves. When you think about your life, where, do you, where are there certain areas that you feel entrenched in? It might be patterns of personality that have been a part of you for your whole life. And you say, I'm just kind of this kind of person. I don't have compassion for people or I, I've always been kind of an anxious person or I've always been kind of a, a person that is quick to judge others or I've always been a person that uh, is, is, is able, not able to kind of take criticism and I get offended really easily and I struggle with certain things and maybe those are certain addictive things that have been in your life. Maybe there's certain things in your relationships, your, your marriage or other things that you say, it's been like this for so long, I'm entrenched in it. It's not just kind of, I'm doing pretty good and I wanna kind of get a boost and do a little better. It's not that uh, there's just kind of one habit that I need to shore up. It's, I'm, this is who I am. The more that things are like that for us, the more that we feel entrenched in things from 
personality, from the way that we were raised, from past hurts done to us. And we say, I don't know if I could ever change this. This is kind of how it's always been. Maybe even when we think about our own kind of lack of experience, our own knowledge about things, and we just say, I, don't, I, I could never kind of get over that hurdle. I could never have that kind of relationship with God, or I could never be used by God in certain ways. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I think that all of us have certain things where we feel I'm entrenched in this. This is kind of how it's always been, and it'll probably be like this till the day I die. It's hard, those areas in our life. If you know what those are for you, then it's probably caused a lot of pain for you. It's probably caused a lot of pain for other people around us. But what this shows us is Jesus is saying he can change that. It's not just that Jesus is a good coach that takes you from a seven to an eight or an eight to a nine. It's not just that Jesus is maybe a good therapist that can help you kind of shave off the, the rough edges. Jesus is saying he can go to someone like Zacchaeus, who's totally entrenched, whose whole identity is revolved around something. He can change that. That Jesus, if he can do that for Zacchaeus, he can do that for us. If Jesus can change Zacchaeus' life, listen, this story, this is part of why this story I think is so powerful, is if Zacchaeus can change, that means any of us can change. It means any of the aspects in our life can change. If Jesus can change Zacchaeus, then I want to pay attention to this story. If Zacchaeus is someone who's like, then I want to know, okay, what, what is it that happened to him? What is it that God did in his life? Because if he can change, then that means there's hope for the worst out there and the worst in here. Who change is available for? That's the first thing that this shows us is that Jesus can bring change to the entrenched. He can take the places that you've given up on. He can take the relationships that you've given up on. He can take the characteristics that you've given up on. He can take the dispositions that you've given up on. He can take the hurts and the pains that you can't seem to overcome. He can take all of that and he can bring change. That's the first thing. Second thing we see from this story is how change comes. How does change come to us? How does it come? Sometimes I think that we kind of operate at times with a belief that change has to follow rock bottom. And that's true a lot of times. If you do reach rock bottom, then change can, can happen in your life. When we looked at the story of the prodigal son, that's, that's similar to what was going on in the younger son's life. But sometimes we think that in order for change to happen in our lives, especially the more entrenched it is, in order for change to happen, we've got to hit some sort of rock bottom. Everything's got to be as bad as it gets. And then we might be desperate for God. We might call out to God and say, okay, and now, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Some of you might be in that experience. I know I've talked to many people that are feeling that and God will work through that. But a lot of us aren't at rock bottom. And so we kind of go through our life and maybe there's certain things and they come and they go, but we're not necessarily thinking, okay, now change is going to happen. Or sometimes it's almost the opposite of rock bottom. We think that the way change comes is when we feel some sort of super passion, super commitment to God. I'm on fire. I'm ready to go. And that's where change comes. It's for the people that are either at the bottom or it's the people that are at the top. It's for the people that are feeling they've got nothing left or it's the people that are just on that mountaintop high that are like, here we go, God. What do you want me to change? I'm super committed. Usually most of us live in the in-between somewhere for most of our lives. You might hit a high or you might hit a low, but a lot of times we're in the middle, which means a lot of times we don't know if changes actually can come into our life. We don't know if that's the right ingredients or the right situation for change. We might even be looking for that kind of right time for change to happen. And that, that kind of imagines change to be sort of this thing that is presented to us as like, now you can change instead of just happening on a Tuesday. Like no one thinks change happens on Tuesday at three o'clock. 
It's like, it's not rock bottom. It's not mountaintop high. It's not the exact right timing when I had enough rest and I had a, you know, I had a, a few months to really reflect on life or I finally got everything settled. I finally got the right job or the right relationship and now everything's kind of going good and now work on myself. No one thinks that change just kind of happens on Tuesday at three o'clock when someone's passing by and it wasn't even in the plans and you're just kind of on a sycamore tree. But that's what happened with Zacchaeus. That's what I love is for him, it was just curiosity. It doesn't say Zacchaeus was on rock bottom. It doesn't say he was living the mountaintop high. It says he, Jesus is just passing through. This wasn't a planned thing. Jesus is just kind of on his way and Zacchaeus is just trying to see who Jesus is. He's probably heard about him a little bit, might kind of know a little, and he's just kind of climbing up a tree. It's not this moment. Sometimes when we have gone through the book of Luke, there's these moments where there's somebody filled with demons and they're breaking chains and naked. And, and if you haven't heard that story, then sorry. But they're just kind of out of control and Jesus shows up and they fall at his feet and it's dramatic. And Zacchaeus is just like, I just kind of want to see who this guy is. He's just, Jesus just passing through. Zacchaeus happens to be there. He's interested. He climbs up a tree. It's just curiosity. It's just curiosity. What that actually is really helpful for us because here's what it means. It means we shouldn't shove down. Because I think a lot of times what happens is some area of interest or growth Love, joy, peace, patience, an area that we think maybe we should work on in our marriage or our relationships or our parenting or our emotions or something kind of pops up, some area of interest, but we kind of push it down, look at our phone, something else happens, we get busy with something else, and then we just kind of go through life. That could have easily, if Zacchaeus had an iPhone, it would have been over for him. He'd be like, oh, Jesus is coming through. Oh, I just got a notification. Okay, okay. The end. So many times, some area of interest that God might be wanting to work in in our life happens. And it's not rock bottom and it's not mountaintop high and it's not the right exact timing. But God is bringing something to our attention. And what happens is Zacchaeus explores that. He takes a step. He climbs a tree. He says, let's just investigate this. Let's see what this is about. Here's what this means. If you're waiting for that kind of profound moment, whether it's super high or super low or everything just right, if you're waiting for that profound moment to experience change in your life, then you might miss it. If you're waiting for that perfect sermon, that perfect conversation, that perfect book, that perfect sign, that perfect hike in the woods where the sunset opens up and you're like, oh, this is amazing and the glory of God in creation. If you're waiting for that, you'll probably miss it. You'll probably miss what God wants to do in your life. This is just basic every day. It took some boldness. It took some boldness. He did take a step knowing that everybody doesn't like him and who do they think he is and if he's up there on the tree, he's just kind of isolating himself out in front of the crowd. So it took some boldness. I'm not saying he didn't do anything, but it was still a basic act of exploring Christianity. Here's what this means. If you're not a Christian, you're here. You've taken a step. This might have been climbing up a tree for you. This might have been just, let's see who Jesus is. Let me see. You've taken a step. And I just want to encourage you to keep taking those steps. Maybe you're online today and you're, this is a step. It's not even coming here in person. It's just, I'm just going to take a step. Let's just see what this is about. Maybe this is climbing up. Maybe Zacchaeus would have watched, a, you know, watched church online. Maybe that's what he would have done. And I want to encourage you to just keep taking steps. For Zacchaeus, this was the beginning of everything for him. He didn't know that at the front end. It was just climbing up a tree. But it might be a little uncomfortable. There might be some critics that say, what are you doing? You might have kind of voice in your own head of criticism. Who are you to think that you can climb a tree and see who Jesus is? Jesus isn't the kind of person for you. You might hear some of that kind of stuff externally or internally. But I want to encourage you to take a step. You already have, but continue. If you're a Christian, this is important for us too because it's easy 
to pass by the opportunities of what God's doing in your life. So many times, so many times, Jesus, if we were just gonna take what this text says, Jesus is passing through in our life with something. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of something. God is bringing something to our attention. Something comes up in a sermon. Something comes up in a book. Something comes up in a conversation. Something just kind of comes up in your own mind that God puts there. And it's easy for us to just kind of move on through and not explore that thing. Not take a step with the opportunity that God actually gives to us. So if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you not to just stay in the status quo. God is continually, Jesus is continually, continually passing by, bringing stuff up. And the opportunity for change isn't just those mountaintops or rock bottoms. It's not those perfect timings. It's all the time that he's showing up. So how change comes, the first is this. It just comes through taking a step, just exploring a curiosity and interest. But secondly, it comes from God's initiative. It comes from grace. Look what it says. It says that Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus is up on the tree, and before Zacchaeus says a word, Jesus says to him, calls him by name, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house, which is an extension of relationship. It's an, I mean, this is the worst person there is. And Jesus says, I want to come over for dinner. And especially in that culture, hospitality and who you had in your home was a huge thing. And even today, we don't have that many people in our home. We might go to a restaurant or go to a bar or go you know, do some things. But the people that we bring into our home or even stay at, which implies kind of an extended period of time, that's pretty rare, right? And the people that you do that with are gonna be the people that you're closest to. Jesus is reaching out to a stranger on a tree who is known as the worst person in the city. And he says, I'm coming to your house. I'm gonna give you relationship. I'm gonna give you love. I'm gonna enter in with you. And then at the end of the story, he says that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. That's what he's about. That's what he's here for. And the crowd complains. The crowd complains. Because, I mean, but don't, let's not judge the crowd, wouldn't you? I don't know who you think the worst person is. I don't know who you think, I mean, I could, I could you know, put up some pictures of people and maybe we'd go, yeah, that's the one I think. But we probably, if you think of, that's the worst that it gets. And if we were in some large crowd, if we were downtown Denver or something and, and that person was there, you wouldn't expect Jesus to go up to that person if it said, okay, announcement, Jesus is gonna come to one person's house today and hang out with them. You're like, oh, I know it's me. Or maybe you might hope it's you, but when he picks the worst person in the crowd, he picks the Nazi collaborator. He picks, the, he picks Bernie Madoff. He picks, you know, I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to go through all sorts of names because someone's going to be like, that's my uncle or something. I don't know. <clears throat> he picks the worst. So let's not judge the crowds because, listen, do you love sinners? And I don't mean theologically. I don't mean that you know you're supposed to. I, but I mean, when someone sins against you, are you drawn to that person? If you have a jerk boss, are you like, man, I, I love having lunch with that guy. Why? Because he's a sinner. And I love hanging out with sinners. Is that, is that how your heart works? That's not how my heart works. When someone has betrayed you, when someone's rude to you, when someone gossips about you. I mean, when you think about the people in your life, even just, even just for those of you that are married or have kids, when, when there's some sort of, when that person's being selfish or that person's getting on your nerves or that person's kind of being cold to you or if that person's being disrespectful to you, are you just like, man, I'm drawn to them. I'm not. I'm drawn away from sinners. I am repelled by sinners. Don't judge me. Be honest about yourself. Right? We don't like sinners. You and I are not like, oh, I just love being with those people that are so rude to me. Those are the people, oh, I want to get lunch with them. 
What are you doing today? Oh, I'm having some people over to my house. Who are they? Oh, they're people that hate me. Oh, interesting. Are you you planning to poison them or what are you doing? No, I'm just going to have lunch with them. I I just love people that are against me. That's not our hearts. But that's exactly why the crowd complains. They're right. They understand who Zacchaeus is. And so they're complaining, saying, what are you doing? We thought you were holy. We thought you were a good teacher. We thought maybe you were a prophet from God. What are you doing? And he says, I'm showing grace. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to have a meal with you. I want to come into your house. I want to come hang out with you. I want to come spend time with you. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't say to Zacchaeus, get your life right first. Get it all together. Get everything cleaned up. Figure everything out. Read this book. Get your, he doesn't say all that to Zacchaeus. He doesn't say, go get therapy. I got a tree therapist. They can come over. They can do it up there because we don't want you coming down here first. He says, he says, first, before anything has happened in Zacchaeus's life, he says, come on down. I need to go to your house. I need to eat with you. I need to give you relationship. Before Zacchaeus has done anything good, before he's shaped up his life, he hasn't even like fallen at Jesus' feet and repented and saying, I'm so sorry, Lord. None of that has happened. And he says, come on over. Come on down. Jesus offers his love. He offers his grace first. And this is always true. This is always how God operates. We see it in this story. We see it obviously in the ultimate sense on the cross that God came down to earth to us. That The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that we were enemies of God and in that he loved us. In that moment, he gave us grace. That's exactly what we see here. While Zacchaeus is still a sinner, Jesus is giving him grace. While you and I were still sinners, it says that Jesus went to the cross to die for us, to show us grace, to bring us into his family, to forgive us of our sin, to give us, like we talked about last week, his righteousness. He does all that before we've done anything good or right or fallen even at our face begging for his forgiveness. He does that in pure grace and initiative and love. That's what we see him do here. That's always true. I love the words that Jesus uses about himself when he says, I come to seek and to save the lost. And I think we think a lot about saving, which is kind of what I just explained, but the idea that he comes to seek also means that when he sees sin, he's not repulsed by it. He draws near to it. You and I and the crowd They see sin and their instinct is to move away from it. Listen, maybe, maybe you can say theoretically, no, 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 sinners out there, yeah, I move towards them. But not if it's done against you. Maybe just in general, we might say, yeah, people that are sinful, yeah, I'm going to be like Jesus and hang out with the sinners. But we don't really mean that when we're talking about people against us. But sin against God, sin against Jesus He says, I move towards. Here's what this means of how change comes. Comes by exploring curiosity, but it comes by Jesus's grace coming to us first, which means Jesus says this to us. I see where you're impatient in your life. I see where you're anxious and don't trust me. I see where you're selfish and stuck in sin. I see where you are ignoring me. I see your hostility towards other people. I see those deep entrenched patterns in your life and I'm not gonna be repulsed by it. I'm gonna seek you, which means I'm gonna come towards you. Jesus sees our greed, our complaining, our idolatry, whatever it is about you that you know needs to change, whatever it is about you that other people around you tell you needs to change, that's, that's true, whatever it is about you that you know this shouldn't be there, Jesus doesn't look at that and say, when you fix that, come talk to me. He looks at that and says, I come to seek you. I come towards the sin. 
But God, this has been happening for a long time. But God, I keep doing this. But God, I should know better. He says, yep, and I come towards you. I come to seek the lost areas in your heart. If you're not a Christian, he says, I come to seek you. And I've come to save you. And if you're not a Christian, I I wish I could put all your names on a screen. Because when Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Jesus would be saying your name. And he would be saying, I've come to seek you. I've come to save you. Come down. But for those of us that are Christians, that doesn't change. He still calls our name and he still says to us, I'm coming to seek you. I'm not repulsed by your sin. I come draw near to your sin. So different from us. He says, I died for you. I forgive you. I give you grace. So if we want to change, how does change come? If we want to change, it starts with seeing his grace. It starts with seeing his love to us first. This is the key in any situation, in every situation where where you want to experience change in your life. It's first to focus your heart, your eyes on him and know he's already has grace for you. He's already loving you, which means we can come to him with honesty instead of hiding. It means we can come to him, period, instead of trying to fix it on our own, which actually just distances us from him. It means that we can, we can the more that we actually see who he is, that begins to melt our heart. When you see how loving and patient he is towards you, that begins to create a patience in you. When you see how forgiving he is towards you, it begins to create a forgiveness in you. When you see how how much he is for you and loves you, it it begins to build a trust in you. And so whatever area that you want to experience change in your life, instead of just trying to work on that thing, my encouragement to you is this. See who Jesus is. Ask God, show me who you are. Let me see your grace. Let me see your kindness to me. Let me see your, show me who you are. That's where it begins. Finally, what are the results of the change that Jesus brings into our life? What happens? Change is available for anybody, including us and including those that we think are lost, those that are entrenched, whole identity around something. The way that change comes is an exploratory step, a curiosity. I want to see who Jesus is and through his grace coming to us first. But What are the results? What actually happens? What does it actually lead to? What does it actually produce? Two things here. At times, we think that we need to change is mainly kind of getting right with God, something like that. We might not use that language, but something kind of, okay, me and God need to be better. That's true. But real change with God always leads to real change with other people. Real change with God always leads to real change in our relationships. It always leads to real change in our time, in our money, in our energy. Real change, listen, we can't be right with God and be wrong with people. That that doesn't make any sense. And this is what you see here. Look what happens with Zacchaeus. Jesus shows him this grace and then he says, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. If I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. That's real, practical, tangible change that's the reversal of the things that Zacchaeus used to do. So Zacchaeus doesn't just say, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've accepted me. The crowd around me, they don't get me. They don't know me. They've judged me. Thank you. Now me and Jesus are good and he kind of just walks around with a chip on his shoulder saying me and Jesus are good and you can't judge me and only God can judge me and that's not what Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus says real change with God, real change with Jesus is going to profoundly affect my relationships. It's going to profoundly affect the way I treat other people. It's going to profoundly affect the things that I've done wrong already in the past. There is restitution that Zacchaeus actually lives out. There is justice where Zacchaeus used to be a part of injustice. There's real change. 
that is the reversal of the things that Zacchaeus has previously identified with and lived in. Listen, I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know how gracious he is to you. I want you to know his forgiveness and his acceptance and that that comes first. I want you to know that. But that's not all that Jesus wants to do in your life. God doesn't only want you to feel his love, to experience a new identity, to experience forgiveness and have an internal reality. He's seeking to change very practical things in our lives. Zacchaeus doesn't even just walk away saying, now I'm going to be a good person. He's thoughtful about, I've done this wrong, I'm going to change this wrong. I think a lot of times we don't understand and we don't view change like that. We think that God's forgiveness means just kind of clean slate and move on your way. But that's not what happened with Zacchaeus. He is willing to submit and surrender to very practical change in his life now. That's part of how you know that the grace of God has actually gotten inside and begun to change you, is you now want to make the sacrifices that sometimes change costs. I mean, have you ever given away half of your income? Have you ever sought to go pay back four times as much? I mean, change, obedience to Jesus has real costs. He's seeking to change very practical things around us and through us to become an agent of change. So I think it's important to even just explore and ask these questions to ourselves: that what wrongs in your life need to be righted? What wrongs have you contributed to that need to be righted? What relationships have been broken that need to be reconciled? It doesn't spell all this out, but if Zacchaeus is going to go do the work of paying back four times, I mean, there's real faces to that, right? I mean, Zacchaeus is going to have to go knock on someone's door and say, hey, it's me, Zacchaeus. Oh, great. Here for more money? No, I'm here to actually give you money. And it's probably not just you know, leave a bag of money on the ground and run away. It's probably, I'm sorry. I wronged you. I stole from you. I extorted you. I knew you had those bills to pay, but I wanted to make some cash. See, what wrongs in our life need to be righted? What relationships need to be reconciled? What practical changes in how we use our time, in how we use our money. What practical changes, what concrete expressions of love need to be different now? Jesus wants to show you grace. He invites you into relationship before you do anything right. But the results of that, if it's real, can never just be this internal experience where you're going, man, I feel really good with God. It always leads out to all sorts of tangible things. Can you imagine Zacchaeus coming down from the tree and having a meal with Jesus and then all these people around him that he had robbed and that he had extorted and he just goes back to live in that same way? Or even if he just he says, yeah, I'm gonna turn over a new leaf, but he's still done this damage? God wants to work change through us, around us, to right the wrongs. That's the first thing of the result that change brings. But final thing is this, it brings about a joyful obedience. Zacchaeus comes down and it says he joyfully welcomed Jesus. And even in his statements of what he's going to do, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've extorted, I'll pay back four times. That is above and beyond what God's law would have actually even required him to do. It was considered generous to give 20% of your income. That was considered, wow, that is generous, according to God's law. The legal penalty for what Zacchaeus did, so the, in God's law, the legal penalty would have been to pay back plus 20%. Zacchaeus is offering way more than that. Now, why? 
Jesus didn't say to him, here's what I want you to do. Jesus didn't give him those commands. Where did that come from? That came from his heart. That came from a joy of knowing what God had done for him. That came from a joy of receiving forgiveness, of receiving grace, of receiving relationship and acceptance and undeserved favor. That came from him experiencing that and then saying, I want to give that. It didn't come from Jesus saying, here's now the 10 rules I want you to follow. And Jesus and Zacchaeus saying, okay, I'm going to try really hard to do that. It comes from an internal motivation of joy. And listen, if there's areas in our life where we're trying to be obedient and we're trying to obey Jesus, we're trying to follow Jesus, we're trying to listen to Jesus, we're trying to make changes. If there's areas where you're looking at your money and you're looking at your time and you're looking at your commitment and you're looking at forgiveness and you're looking at, and it's drudgery, you might be missing what Zacchaeus experienced, which is God's saving grace to him. If obedience for us is pure duty, if obedience for us is pure just slog, and listen, this isn't a sermon about money, but it's just a good example that if, if giving financially is something that's like, okay, I have to do this, I, ah. and even if you're, even if, listen, even if you're generous, even if you give 20% of your income, but you're just like, ah, that's not what we see happened here. Zacchaeus freely, effusively goes above and beyond because he's experienced something that Jesus has done for him. I think about, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen the real Scrooge uh, Christmas Carol like movie, but we always used to watch the Mickey's Christmas Carol growing up and we still watch it every year. I've probably seen it like 90 times because uh, when you're a kid, you, you a lot of times rewatch. I'm not 90 years old, but you rewatch, if you didn't know, you know, you rewatch movies. But there's a scene when Scrooge, you know, he's experienced this second chance and this opportunity and this grace. And then he comes out to the people that were asking him for money and he's got these big bags of gold and he's, he's just putting it in their pants like the people collecting it and their, and their pants fall down because he's just loading them up with so much gold. He's like, here, here, here's everything I have. Ha, 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 ha. And he, you know, runs away. And that is a picture of what Zacchaeus did because he had received this grace. He had gone and even with Scrooge, he went from death to life. If you're a Christian, you've gone from death to life. You've received God's grace in imaginable, immeasurable ways. If our heart is how much, or where's the line, or what do I have to do now? If that's our heart, then I think we've missed something of what Zacchaeus experienced here. If our heart is, how much time do I have to give? How much do I have to change? What does it really mean to be patient? What does it really mean to be loving in my speech? What does God really want me to do with my sexuality? How much do I actually have to give? If that's our heart, we're already showing that we're not getting what Zacchaeus is talking about, which is this internal joyful, I want to obey. I want to right every wrong that I've done. So my encouragement is this. If that's not your experience, go back and see his grace. Go back and re-experience his seeking, his saving. Go back and, and live in that. Ask him to make that more real to your heart so that obedience is a joy. What is the result? of the change that he brings. It's change in us and it's change around us. It's not just stopping certain things. It's creating a life of love through us. I mean, imagine if we had this experience. Imagine the kind of fire that would happen in our community here and in our city if if we were all like Zacchaeus in various ways, whether that's with money or time or, or our justice or with righting wrongs or reconciling, I mean, imagine what would happen if no one had to tell us what to do, but like Zacchaeus, it was just flowing out of us. Imagine what would happen. That's what the gospel of grace creates. So I'm asking us to go back to that 
to see Jesus' seeking, to see his saving and experience everything he's done for us, coming through us. Listen, we all want to change. Different areas, different ways. And, and looking at what does it take, this story shows us. It shows us someone who is as far gone as you can get going to a model. And no one knows exactly, but church history says that Zacchaeus actually became a bishop, which is a pastor of pastors. He was the chief tax collector, and then he became a chief pastor, basically. It's a huge transformation. What power can create that? That's the power I want in my life. That's the power I want for us and for our church and in our city. When we take communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering a grace given to us. Jesus' body broken, his blood shed to give us grace before we ever asked for it. To give us grace before we ever deserved it. To take enemies and make them children. To take darkness and make it light. To take death and bring life through what he did in his death and in his resurrection. And so if you're a Christian, I want you to use this time as, as you take communion to remember his grace. Even just pray and say, God, make that more real to me. I don't want to just obey. I don't want to just do the right thing. Make your grace more real to me so that change would flow from my life. If you're not a Christian, Jesus is calling you. He says, I came to seek and to save you. And I would encourage you to surrender to him like Zacchaeus did. Come down from the tree, whether you're online or here in person. You can use this time as you pray also to say, what's the next step for you? Is there a relationship to reconcile? Is there Is there reorientation in your life that needs to be done? Maybe it's that you need to ask him to give you his heart for the people that are lost since Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. Maybe maybe it's that we need to confess, God, I'm like the crowd. Give me your heart. Use this time to, to confess, to thank, to ask God to make his grace more real, more profound to you. Take a minute and pray. Also, I will be in the back if you'd like prayer for anything, if you'd like prayer for something going on in your life, for prayer for healing. We believe that God can heal. doesn't mean he always does, but I'd love to pray for you in the back. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you that for us, you did more than just call us down from a tree. You came to this earth. You sent your son to save us. Let that be more and more real to our hearts, Lord, and bring about the change that you want to through us. Amen.